0: Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale episode 23 with me Eason and me Bex and today in the last of our NaNoWriMo November special episodes all about writing, editing, publishing etc we had a chat with Arachne Press founder Cherry Potts.
1: Yeah so Cherry is a writer and she founded Arachne Press five years ago they've just had their big fifth anniversary celebrations they publish poetry, YA fiction, science fiction, fantasy, all sorts of genre stuff and they're going from strength to strength.
0: Yeah, Arachne is one of those little presses that we ourselves have kind of you know read a lot of their stuff, we've been to some of their events as well and um, it's really nice also to get the word out about them because they may be small but they have big ambitions.
1: So hope you enjoy the interview. So today we're delighted to be joined by author and publisher cherry potts hi cherry hi there you cover so many different aspects of writing and publishing um, you're a writer yourself you run a small press publisher um, you run live storytelling evenings when did you first get into writing yourself
2: oh goodness um before I could actually write. Um, I, I Seriously, I can remember turning up at school, five and a little bit, with a story done out in stick people.
1: Uh-huh. Do you remember the story? Oh, it was very off. It was very <laughs>
2: off. I'm ashamed of it. Um, and I sort of talked people through what it was I was trying to do. And uh-huh. my teacher looked at me and said, we really need to get you to learn how to write. (laughs) Actual, physically putting the words down on paper. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I've written ever since, Mm. with massive gaps when I was working so hard, I couldn't begin to think about it. um,
1: And have you you always been interested in writing science fiction, fantasy, kind of myth-based stories?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In fact... I can tell you what started me off on it. Um I was getting very anxious aged 12ish that I wasn't going to be allowed to read fairy tales for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And then I read um Peter S. Beagle's The Last Unicorn and I thought, "Oh, it's all right. You're allowed to read this stuff <laughs> going you know, as an adult." Um And what's more, I could write some. And I started my first book when I was 13. You know, my first series. Okay, I'm going to get this published. Mm. It's going to be a novel rather than just writing little things. Mm. Um, It was a load of rubbish, I have to say. (laughs) Hardly surprising. Um, But... uh, my english teacher at the time said could she read it and i said yes and she gave it back to me and she gave me this very long look she said, it's rather violent isn't it <laughs> i said yes your point <laughs> <laughs> because uh you know you can't really write fantasy and not have people
1: whacking people with swords no it's sort of kind of a uh, very and when you go back and look at fairy tales, they're actually incredibly violent. They're brutal, brutal. So your first um, short story collection, which was Mo- Mosaic of Air, which has been um, yeah. uh, released a couple of times, actually, that's very what? kind of heavily based on that there's lots of classical mythology influences in there and then fairy tale influences in there. Where, where did the the sort of kernel of those ideas come about for that collection?
2: Um, I... That's te- it's 10 years worth of, re- of writing there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think there was a plan particularly, uh, but I got a couple of things published in anthologies and the very first thing I had published was Penelope is no longer waiting, which is about Penelope and Odysseus and her actually not being that enamoured of the idea of him coming home, thank you very much, <laughs> um, and seeing to that. And... That went down incredibly well, and so I thought, okay, this is possibly where I want to go, but I don't want to be trapped in just doing that. I don't want to be um, typecast as a writer. Mm. Uh, So I just sort of went looking for other things that I cared about. And it's by no means all um, fantasy. I mean, there's a, a long science fiction thing in it, and there's quite a lot of contemporary stuff as well. Well, contemporary at the time is written nearly 30 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, and so when I reissued it, I actually did think, "Is anybody going to want to read these?" Because the you know the world has moved on, mm-hmm. um, and. You know some of them sort of kind of relied on people not being able to contact each other and <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> happen anymore uh, and so I thought actually I don't care it's a period piece mm. um, and actually yeah, you know, my biggest concern was that there was a, a lot of stuff about LGBT politics in it and I was thinking well there are plenty of places still in the world where this is all absolutely relevant still mm. yeah so I'm republishing it anyway I don't care <laughs>
1: So you republished it through Arachne Press. Um, What made you decide to start a small press-up?
2: Well, it was in fact that book. um, My then publisher um, was going to reissue it. And I said, well, yes, that's lovely, but you haven't actually paid me any money at all for the last book yet, and it's been out for three years. Mm. So... Perhaps we could have an, at least an, a, a statement of account, so I can, yeah. You know. mm. And they owed me well over £1,000. And it was quite clear it wasn't coming. So I said, right, well, you won't breach a contract. And no, you may not reissue this book because what's the point? I won't see any money from it. Mm. Um, and went off in a fit of fury and looked up what was going on. Um, on company's House and established, they were never going to be able to pay me. And I thought, well, I can get really angry and, and fester over this, or I can do something. Mm. I'm going to publish it myself. And then I thought, but I don't want to be a self-publisher. I want to publish other people. How can I achieve that? And I was about to be made redundant for the second time in five years. So I thought, well, I'm going to have the time, and there's a little bit of money, and stuff it, let's do it. And so I emailed Katie Darby, who runs nicely because I'd had quite a few stories read there, so I knew what sort of material was likely to be available and also the quality of it. And I said, is anybody doing anything about anthologies, Katie? And I got this really stroppy, don't ask me to do an anthology <laughs> email back. Uh, I said... So I responded straight away, I, I wasn't asking you, I was offering, at which point, sweetness and light broke out, and <laughs> I spent weeks reading six years, worth, I think it was at that point, of Myers' League stories, um, and it became really obvious quickly that there were a lot that were London-based, so mm-hmm. I And I know that Katie is very, very thorough. So I emailed her again. I said, can you point me at all of the London ones? I don't actually want to read 780 stories to find the the 20 or so that I need. Mm. Um, So she gave me a short list. And then we approached people and said, is this actually available? Because, you know, six years sometimes they've been there and been published elsewhere and things. Mm. Uh, and ended up with what looked like quite a good collection to us. And I said, Katie, do you want to be a co editor on this since you chose them in the first place? So she said, yes. And we thought, right, well, it's a London book, it's 2012. Let's see if we can get this out in time for the Olympics. <laughs> Little did we know. uh That was an incredibly naive hope. um just, I mean, we could get the book physically into existence, but we couldn't get it into the shops mm. um, in that time scale. So, in the end, it came out just before the Paralympics, which was fine uh, because London was flavour of the month and we did quite nicely with it. So, that was good. And you know, we launched it at the London Review Bookshop. Uh, is lovely of them and we sold quite a lot more than they had actually bargained for so i was quite glad i bought my little um wheelie suitcase with a few more <laughs>
1: <laughs> so with london lies the first um book that arachne published of other people's work
2: yeah so it's we... actually the first book we published at all
1: oh so it came out before there. the reissue of yeah, yeah. So, I
2: thought I, I'd establish Arthur before I did one of my own books. So otherwise, I'd just look like I was publishing my own stuff, and then I would get, have no credibility in terms of getting other people to be published by me.
1: So was it sort of a crash course in in publishing then to to get everything out?
2: Absolutely, there? it was. I I did several sensible things. Um, I joined the IPG. Um, which is the independent publishers group. And I got their How to Be a Publisher in Nine Easy Lessons, or whatever it's called, um, book. And I read it from cover to cover and made copious notes. And I followed the advice mostly, except for when I didn't agree with it. Uh, <laughs> and I should have just followed the advice. Um, but there you go. And so I got myself a distributor and I got myself a, a salesperson who I fought with almost constantly um, and we did our best and I was very clear that the biggest issue was going to be marketing because you cannot afford to market the way you need to be able to market. And I, the, the The level of scale that the big publishers have allows them to pay several thousand pounds for an advert in the guardian you know and that sort of thing and god knows what to have uh, a, a poster on the um, underground that was never gonna happen so i had to be inventive so i was also doing crash courses in social media and crash courses in blagging and crash courses in having <laughs> clever ideas as fast as i could at the same time as being put through the mill at, at work over the redundancy why people think they have to make redundancy such a performance i don't know i knew the contract was coming to an end they knew the contract to an end. i didn't have an issue with it i knew they weren't doing anything about getting us some new jobs it was fine but no we had to have all these horrible meetings and make people feel miserable it was ghastly so i was really glad to come home and do something
1: else so Over the years, Arachne Press has done a couple more of the Lies League anthologies. There's been Weird Lies, which is a a sort of subtly dark fantasy horror type collection, and also Lovers Lies, which is a romance collection. Oh, it's not. It really isn't. It's not? it's not romance <laughs> at all. No, no, it's it's stories about
2: relationships, and and ah. some of them are well, they they all are romantic relationships, but it is in no, no way romantic. That was the whole point. That's why it's called lovers' lies.
1: <laughs> and then you've also been branching out into things like young adult yep. fiction. Um, how did that come about? Uh, well,
2: after the first sort of, I know what I'm going to publish books, which were the three um liars books and stations and then i thought okay well i don't know what i'm going to publish next so i'll have a an open call um for a very short period so i don't get overwhelmed and so i think it was for a month um i just put things out saying show us what you've got basically and Really, I mean, I didn't get masses. I think I got 30, but that was quite enough to have to read through. Uh, and there were literally three that I thought were worth publishing, um, of which one wasn't prepared to do any editing. Uh, so I thought, oh, forget that. And one of them never responded to anything. Uh, and the other, uh, what was left was Alex Smith's um, young adult novel devil skin and dear love which was completely bonkers i mean it was one of those books that you just read from cover to cover and stay up all night to finish it because it, it just goes like a roller coaster and it just sort of fell off a cliff um so i emailed her and i said well basically it's a yes but what on earth happened at the end did you did you think <laughs> you'd run out of words you know the, the, there was some kind of limit that you'd reached and she said no i had a baby so i said right okay so how old's the baby now She's it two and i said so we can do some editing then uh, <laughs> and sort this out because it just sort of stopped <laughs> hmm. um and we we had such a good time editing it. it was it was very difficult because she was having it it was being published in south africa where she lives by someone else um and we sort of negotiated with them agreed we'd publish it on the same day and they were editing and I was editing and she was flinging versions between us. And in the end, I said, like, OK, this is not working. I can't keep track of what's going on. Let them finish. Send me their version and we will see whether there's more that we need to do. Um, and there was because the sort of things that they were worrying about were absolutely not the sort of things I was worrying about. They were saying, "Don't you think having a, a rose tattoo is a bit sissy for a thirteen-year-old boy?" And I was saying, "Why is a thirteen-year-old boy having a tattoo at all? What is his mother thinking?" <laughs> um, so we had <laughs> sort, sort out things like that. But it was really useful having um, a local editor because there were some geographical things that she'd got wrong that I wouldn't have known were wrong, and she had her heroine running the length of Long Street in Cape Town um several times a day and uh, the South African editor was saying, It's three kilometres e-, you know, She would not be doing it <laughs> three times a day. And I was like, gosh, I'm glad she said that. <laughs> Me just started Google earthing everything <laughs> to double check. Uh, this is a one way street, hold on, you know, this sort of thing. Uh so so that was our first young adult one. I mean I love young adult books. I would publish nothing but young adult books if there were a enough being offered me because um, i just mm. i love the freshness of them and the, the the sheer chutzpah sometimes of just you know what we're going to do something really audacious here and we don't care and uh, i love that and certainly that book really fell into that category it is just mad um, and deliciously so. And it it is in. It took. I think it was the third time I read through the manuscript. I thought, hang on a minute. And I emailed her and I said, this is actually the Secret Garden, isn't it? It's got all the characters in there. You've changed the names. You've changed where it is. You've added demons. But it's basically the Secret Garden. And she said, yes, my favourite ever book. Uh, But she's hidden it so well, it took three readings for me to cotton on.
1: So you publish so many different types of work. Do you have a particular preference, or is it really just whatever grabs you as being a a really interesting thing to publish?
2: Um, I mean, I read pretty eclectically, um, and therefore I publish pretty eclectically. Uh, There are several things I will not touch with a disinfected barge pole. I am not interested in gore. I'm not interested in proper horror. And I don't mind being creeped out a bit, but I have just no interest at all in zombies and vampires and all that nonsense. Um, and, and I'm not interested in violence for its own sake. And I'm not interested in... I'm not interested in romance. Um, you know, there's lots of things I will not publish, but outside of that, I'm open to pretty much anything.
1: So, what's the story behind uh, your novel, The Dairy Blade, which is more fantasy?
2: Yeah, it's pretty straightforward fantasy, actually. Um, that one took 20 years to write, and it, it is actually, in its very, very kernel, is the very first book I started writing there are one or two scenes in it that came from that. They were the only bits that were worth saving from, from the, the dreadful 13-year-old book. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, I was reading a lot of things like Marion Zimmer Bradley and of that ilk and finding them slightly unsatisfactory. And part of it was this fantasy and it happens in science fiction as well where dreadful 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 things happen and people just shrug off and go on to the next thing and mm. i thought actually i want a book with some consequences in it i want people to you know when something awful happens for it to actually have an impact and and you know, maybe for the rest of their lives um and i'd written a short story which was published years and years and years and years ago, uh, which became, I think, Chapter 38 or something like that. Um, And so because that was the starting point, that had to... Everything that happened before that had to lead up to that, which meant that it is very distressing, actually, a lot of it. Um, It wasn't until I published it and I was talking about it to people, I said, actually... When I started writing this, the concept of post-traumatic stress didn't exist. Yeah, you know, it's that long ago. It wasn't called that and wasn't wasn't current at all. But actually, I realised what I'm what I was doing here was I was writing about post-traumatic stress, and about you know you can't have your sister carried away into slavery and your your father die of thirst. And not actually be kind of upset by it, and that makes you perhaps a rather difficult person to deal with. And you know, so, and the other key thing I wanted was I wanted a magic sword that was not at all magic. It was all just reputation. <laughs> um, and my my partner has a real loathing of fantasy, and she says things like, "Oh, it's all swords that go ting." So I. so i i I said right so this is for you alex there is going to be a sword in it and everybody's going to think the sword is incredibly important and and, you know cultures will fall over this sword but it's just a length of metal there's nothing about it at all (laughs) sorry to spoil that for anybody who hasn't read it yet
1: (laughs) (laughs) so as well as all the work that arachne publishes You're also very involved in some some live storytelling um, events. So there's the story sessions, which is a regular thing, and then also the Solstice Shorts Festival. How did you first get into standing up in front of an audience and reading out loud a story?
2: It was really started just as a marketing thing um, because initially I was looking at where are there events that I I can take my authors to and, and promote them through. And it was such hard work finding them, getting to them, discovering they had no audience after all. It was a waste of time and all these things. Um, And I thought, you know, maybe I should just try doing it myself. Mm -hmm. Let's have a go. And initially we were doing it at a pub fairly close to us, which is the first ever cooperatively owned pub in London. And they were sort of just trying anything, really. Um, and so I just went in and said, "How about it? Shall we have a go?" And we booked four nights, I think, over four months. Um, and it was chugging along quite nicely. We were getting reasonable audiences. We were getting some fairly famous writers down because it wasn't just our authors, but you know, we we were providing a a, a platform for. Anybody who wanted to, but made sure at least one of ours was there every night. And um, mm. it got to time to renew and talk about it, and they said, "You know what? We don't need you anymore. We can make more money with having music on." So we said, right, fine, we'll go somewhere else. Um, and it's gradually petered out, really, apart from when we could get when we do a gig for a festival. Uh, because we just haven't found the right venue. They're either too small or too noisy or too out of the way. And you know, my my ideal thing is um, a pub with a downstairs room with a door you can shut, which was a big problem <laughs> at the pub we were in originally because they just it was three bars and you know, it was just constant people walking through and dog fights in the front bar and you name it. Um, yeah. So ground floor door, you can shut these dec- decently quiet slap next to a station. Then I can make it work, but we <laughs> we're just, yeah, you know, obscure places on, on, on not well-served bus routes and things. You just can't get an audience. Uh, it's just a shame. But um, mm-hmm. so that's, it's, it's still on it's still sort of on my theoretical back burner and if, if I ever find the right venue we will re- resurrect it and we are going to do um, a book of stories by people who have featured at story sessions um, and that's probably in a couple of years because they've got a lot of plans for next year and that one's a little bit slow to get going because it's Mostly what people were reading was stuff that was already published and I want new stuff. So I've just written to everybody who ever read anything at story sessions and said, would you like to be in an anthology with all these other people and what shall we have as a theme? Because it's always been themed. And there were some fairly inane suggestions, um, but somebody came up with departures. And I thought, like, well, actually, that covers all the other things that people have suggested. You can make it fit departures because it can be, you know, it could be a departure from the norm. It could be, we could use it as, as a sort of genre thing almost, that you know, some, something that doesn't fit anywhere. Uh, it could just be a departure from the, the, the journey that you think you're taking. It could be leaving relationships. I don't know, whatever, um, leaving work. I've written a story about leaving work. <laughs> first thing i ever read out loud it was scary um and but you know i had to have one provider. i want no death stories you would not believe the number of death stories i have to read Hmm. and people think they're saying so original you think no actually really ordinary
1: (laughs) 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 so i know that reading out loud in front of an audience is something that a lot of writers get quite freaked out about mm. doing, um, you know, even in front of a relatively friendly audience. Never mind a group of complete strangers. Um, how did have you got used to it over the years? Is it is it less scary now doing it now than it was when you first started?
2: Yes, it is. I mean, i've I've got a lot of techniques now. Um, I, I practice. So this is always a good idea, and I also I print up what I'm going to read in point 14 or bigger so that i can read it under all circumstances because you often places are really badly lit Mm. and why they don't think about this um and i read onto a recorder and listen back and listen to where the natural pauses are what are the what are the words that i run together so that people won't understand them and i highlight everything so one of the things I've noticed that words that end in D I tend not to say the D so they're bold all the D's are bold so that I finish the word (laughs) (laughs) and things like that Um, but also because I sing in operas um, this is so simple compared to singing in an opera I don't have to be in Mm -hmm. tune I don't have to move at the same time. I don't have to be in um, sequence with anybody else. I don't, you know, I don't have to be... All sorts of things I don't have to be. So actually, reading something off a piece of paper, that's easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So do you do um, choral singing in operas? Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, in the the chorus. uh, How did you get into that? Ah... Our local big classical music venue is Blackheath Halls and eons ago now I did, uh, well actually Alex did a workshop thing there um, of South African songs which was great fun and the following year I did it with her and then they said they were going to do an opera. This was when I was up to my ears in work and I I can't commit to that many rehearsals, but that kind of sounds fun. And they were going to do Carmen, oh, well, never mind. And the next year, um, they were doing Orpheus Neurodiche, which is my favourite opera. So I thought, right, don't care, doing it, drop everything, Um, because it is really intensive. It's two and a half months of at least one day a week of rehearsing. Because it's uh, an completely amateur chorus, uh, but professional principles and so forth. Uh, So you do a lot of rehearsing to make sure you've really got it, because you have to know the words, you have to be able to sing in tune, and you have to be able to move at the same time, and sometimes even act, you know. (laughs) Uh, That is a challenge for me, acting. Uh, I didn't realise I wasn't really acting until I saw some of the photographs and there's actually nothing going on on my face at all. So I've learnt to ham somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) So so that people notice that I'm doing something as opposed to all this sort of deep, intense stuff that no one can see. Um, (laughs) And I've done it every year since. We've just done our tenth. And in fact... I program around it. I don't normally release a book in June or July because I'm too busy. <laughs> but this this coming year, I think the opera is going to have to do without me, unfortunately, because I've just got so much potentially on. If we get the funding, um, there is a lot, lot, lot of plans. Because I suddenly decided, you know, I'm actually working from one book to the next and I need to look a bit further forward. So mm. I've, I've got a game plan for the next three years. So I'm going to be approaching Arts Council soon and saying, this is what I would like to do. Would you like to
1: help? me?" So what's the next thing that's coming up from Arachne?
2: So the next or well, the next book is another young adult one. It's the second in the um, Brook Storyteller trilogy, which is called Spellbinder. That's out on the 7th of December. Um, That's quite low-key. We don't do huge rigmarole for those books because the author, who is my mum, um, has dementia. So she's not really in a position to go out and do readings and talk to people. We did did a launch for the first one for Brat at local library um and got a school in and it was okay but my father and i were both absolutely sweating cobs that it might go wrong terrified that it might go wrong and it didn't Mm -hmm. but she finds it very stressful and it's not fair so i i use actors and we mooch about libraries reading to people Mm -hmm. keep it fairly quiet um, so I haven't actually made great plans for what we're going to do about that but it is actually available and it's the second one and it's just before Christmas so there's a massive sort of hint there for anybody who has adolescence in their household they could buy both the new books and then the third one is out in June <laughs> but uh, after that we've got um, this year's Solstice Shorts Festival which is the fourth one and the theme this year is Dusk And despite the fact I said in the call-out I didn't want any death stories, (laughs) we have got quite a lot of death stories. And some of them are really dark. There's the most horrifying... um, It turns out it's not a werewolf um, story, uh, which is really creepy. Uh, But the thing about Dusk is that we've... Um, Solstice Shorts has always been held in Greenwich because it's the prime meridian, and because it's the shortest day of the year, it's always been a time themed mm. thing. And yeah, so, the first year it was just time because we didn't know if we'd do it again, and the second year it was longest night, and the third year it was shortest day, and this year it's dusk, mm. and next year it will be dawn. And the year after that, my three-year plan, the year after that, which is the next time it falls on a weekend and we can actually do it all day again as opposed mm. to quite short things, um, it will be time and tide and it will be set on tidal rivers That's the plan. But this mm. year, because dusk is a really, really short period of time, it's, seven, it's 45 minutes roughly, we decided to step away from Greenwich So it's happening at 12 sites across the UK, starting in Aberdeen and finishing in Redruth as the sun goes down. The reason we're doing that is because it's such a short period of time. And so in the north, it starts much earlier, but lasts less time. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the south, it lasts a little bit longer. and happens a little bit later. So... um, we will have at 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 one point for about half an hour, everybody on each site will be reading at the same time. So, so I, I was thinking, this is just like one of those uh, Starling murmurations, you know, lots and lots of voices. <laughs> Why don't we upload it all to the internet so that it can actually be happening somewhere all at once? Uh, this is quite an interesting concept to get one's head around, but we are going to have a go. So there will hmm. be, in theory, live video of all of these events
1: happening all at the same time. <laughs>
2: uh, scary. <laughs> I'm sure we can do it.
1: <laughs> so, where can people check to see if there's one of them happening near them?
2: Um, we have on our website um, on so it's erectlypress.com forward slash solstice shorts, and then there's a link on there to this year's, which is dusk and that's got a list of everywhere that we're doing it. And we've got a couple of places that might be doing it just as sort of as a fringe event where we'll help them publicise it, but they're doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it's all quite fluid at the moment, beyond the fact that we've got these 12 sites, which I could probably reel off, but I've to try. <laughs> <laughs> I always get sort of left and think, who have I left out? <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then Arachne Press is turning five, so have you got any plans for celebrating? Yeah, well, we turned five in
2: September, in fact. Um, we had a big party, which is great fun, um, and yeah, and I was sort of reviewing, and that was the point at which I decided I need, a, need to be thinking further ahead. I, you know, we've got to five years, just sort of hand-to-mouth almost, Um And what about the next five years? And I actually can't think five years ahead. That's too much. The world could blow up before that happens. Um, So I thought, okay, we'll go for three years. And so we've got plans, quite a lot of plans for next year, because uh, next year is the centenary of women getting the vote in this country. So I thought... That would be quite nice. And there's a, I want to say a project, it's not really, it's an idea that's been mooted in the publishing world that we should, we, the publishing world, all of us, should only publish women next year. This is not going to happen, obviously, because most people plan five or six years in advance and they've already decided what they're publishing next year. But as I haven't, I can do that. Uh, (laughs) Uh, So I've got various ideas uh, which are in progress, one of which is a a new Liars' League tie-in and is going to be a book of stories by women about women, which initially was being called Women and Girls, but I hated that. That was just a a hook. Um, But having now got some of the stories in, Um, It's probably going to be called We Forward Slash She, Hmm. uh, which is the most sort of all-encompassing story story title of what we've got so far, and I think it works. Um, So that's in the offing, and I'm doing some specifically because it's our fifth anniversary. um, We're going to do a book of short stories by five authors so it'll be probably five stories by five authors Uh, they all will be women and we're also going to do a similar thing with poets but five poets would make a very thin book so they're allowed to have more and (laughs) it may even be six poets we might leave it until after september next year so it's actually arachne six because I've had such good stuff in. I'm thinking, how do I decide not to include anybody? <laughs> so it might be six. I haven't absolutely decided yet, but there's some absolutely corking, brilliant, brilliant stuff there. It's very exciting. And then November, of course, is the centenary of the end of the First World War. And I have got heartily sick of all the celebration and i know they're saying it's not celebration but it's the celebration of the war so we are going to have a book called an outbreak of peace and it's going to celebrate the ending of the war and i have no idea what's going in it um but the call out is is there now and on it's on submittable if anybody's interested and i have absolutely no idea what that will turn out like. I have been rejecting things quite fast because people haven't listened, um, and I've had some very war-intense stuff, and I think no, no, peace, peace, end of war. I mean, you don't have to be happy about the war being ended. You know, you could, you, you know, the, there can be distress and misery as all you like, but just no. Actual killing people, please. Oh, how difficult can mm. that be, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, that, um, the closing date for that's not till April, so there's heaps of time for people to get the idea and get it right and send me lovely stuff. What else? Uh, I've got two, I've got quite a lot of poetry lined up actually. Um, which we were going to do already before I decided I needed a five-year plan. We're doing Kate Foley's next book, which is called A Gift of Rivers, which is about her life as a lesbian and being married to a Dutch woman. And there are some really lovely poems in that. Um, and we did her um, uh, her collection about being adopted and being brought up in the Second World War. Uh, um, I really like doing themed poetry books. There's something that turns them almost into a novel. Uh, I really like that. Um, and then we're publishing a book of poetry by Cathy Bryant, who we published in The Other Side of Sleep. And she initially sent me um, a group of poems for the five-by-five five thing. And... I said, gosh, Kathy, these are good. Have you got any more? And She said, only a few thousand. And sent me this <laughs> sort of like mass of stuff. Um, and there are one or two I didn't want, just on um, what the content was and not being the sort of thing I published, thank you. Um, and one or two that I didn't think were quite good enough, but my goodness, she's good. It's really sparky. She does these really weird things where she just sort of lets the meaning drift and changes one letter in a word until suddenly you're thinking, I know what this should say, but it isn't what it says. What it says is this. And there's this sort of palimpsest of the other poem that you can't quite see. It's really clever. Um And she had, had a title I didn't like. And one of the poems is called Erratics. And I said, you know, these poems where the, 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 the words slip or the lines slip or the letter slips, they are erratic. I want to call the book erratics. So she, oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's, um, and we're having huge fun now sort of, sort of deciding on what kind of cover do we have for this? Um, and approaching artists and saying, do you fancy having a go at this one? see what you can come up with we don't know what we want (laughs) surprise (laughs) Uh, so there's those and then I've got two um, other poetry collections by people we originally published in The Other Side of Sleep which won't be out until 2019 because they are not women Um, so I'm not publishing them until 2019 and One of those is an absolutely amazing collection of poems, which indeed does make a novel. It's called The Knotsman. It's by Math Jones. And it is the weirdest thing. You'll love it. (laughs) It's got, it's set in the 16th, 17th century-ish, and it's a completely made-up concept, the knots man. But he he convinced me absolutely that there were people like tinkers going around undoing people's knots for money, and, <laughs> and thereby undoing the knots in their psyches and their relationships. And it's terrific. Um, and one of, one of the weirdest combinations of brutal and tender. And there's really. Awful things happen, but he does not let you dwell on the awfulness. He lets you dwell on how you should feel the sim- your sympathy for the people that it's happening to. Uh, it's really fine line, and it's so clever, and it's magnificent poetry, and it will read aloud like nothing else. It's just, I mean, he's a proper bard, he is. You know, you get these huge stories told in an incredibly precise language in a way that will sound amazing out loud. Lovely. And then in complete contrast, uh, we are going to have a very small book from Jeremy Dixon, which is in retail. And it's little tiny poems about working in a shop. Could be more <laughs> different from that stuff. it's it's microcosm and observation and wit and slightly bonkers and very entertaining one of these poems was published in the other side of sleep and he read it at the launch and there were all these poets in the audience i mean dozens of poets in the audience and I was watching them because I knew what was coming and I was watching them cotton on to what was happening in this poem. And Kate came up to me afterwards, she said, I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could you could do this stuff that looks really, really simple and actually it really isn't. It's just delightful. So I'm gonna have a lot of fun with all these things. It's I, I mean, my my criteria for do I publish something or not is I am going to have to read this forensically at least seven times. Mm. Am I going to want to? And if the answer is no, I don't publish it. If I'm going to have to listen to someone read it at ten events, I'm going to want to have to listen to it ten times. Mm. So... It's got to be pretty damn amazing before I'm going to do that. Uh, that's my criteria.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great hearing all about your plans for, for what's coming out over the next three years. And best of luck with the Solstice Shorts Festival this year and for next year and beyond.
2: Yeah, I've got all sorts of plans for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. It's been great talking to you. Likewise. So that's it for episode 23 and also for our November specials. We hope you've enjoyed them.
0: Yeah, it's been really great to talk to such a variety of different people involved in all different aspects of well, mainly genre-related publishing. But we're really grateful for everyone who has uh, taken part in the episode, everyone who's listened to the episode, supported them. Right now, we are going to have, I think actually this week... We're going to be putting out another episode a little bit later on, uh, which is all to do with our first anniversary of Time for Cakes and Ale.
1: Yes, I can't quite believe we've been going for a whole year.
0: Yeah, and I think it won't be be long, but what we'll talk about probably is, you know, our thoughts on the last year, um, all the stuff we've done, uh, not only as Cakes and Ale, but also our Twin Peaks cherry pie and coffee episodes, our... tally-ho prisoner episodes we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up in the last few episodes of the year and also what our plans are for the future as well
1: yes i hope you can join us then
0: if you've enjoyed listening to our episodes please spread the word get in contact via twitter at tfcaa we're on facebook we have a website where you can find all of our old episodes as well If you're feeling generous, please stop by iTunes and you can leave us uh, some nice comments and even a five star review as well.
1: Yeah. So until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.